you look at the people who have been successful from one peak to the next, one thing that they have in common is innate curiosity. They're always looking at the marketplace. They're always looking at following the revenue trail, so to speak. Is there a future in this space? What's the future of this product? Have consumer buying patterns changed? What are who are the possible disruptors? What are my competitors doing? You know, so that curiosity is something that is innate in a lot of the successful people I've seen. One I'd like to add is a fixation on job titles. I think a lot of people tend to compare with their peers. And when they say things like, oh, so-and-so is already 45 and a VP. Now, so for my next move, I must be a VP. And to, you know, they ignore, they eclipse all other considerations. But that's not how it works because, again, their trajectory is different than yours. It might be a different industry. So it's unhealthy to fixate on job titles. Hello, welcome to the Leaders of Learning podcast. I'm your host, Ling Ling. The Leaders of Learning is a podcast show that explores learning in the 21st century with educators, leaders, and entrepreneurs. For more information and to listen to our previous episodes, head over to our website at www.leadersoflearning.asia. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. For years, experts, researchers, leaders, and the media have talked about the fast-changing world we are living in. With the emergence of a younger and diverse workforce alongside technological advancement, experts believe that many will lose their job if nothing is done. With the unforeseen global crisis of COVID-19, we may well lose even more jobs than previously forecasted. We cannot wait for governments and organizations to scramble for a solution. To survive, we have to take charge of our careers. Yet, there are many questions left unanswered. What can we do to survive the hastened changes in the world? What will future jobs look like? How can we navigate through our complex career transitions? Joining us is Chi Zi Yen, a certified master coach and career coach with over 14 years experience in delivering coaching, training, and facilitating workshops. She has published numerous articles with the Straits Times Recruit section since 2007. Also, she recently co-authored books titled The Exit Management Handbook, Seven Secrets to Improving Your Job Search, and Accelerating Your Career. Welcome to the show, Yen. Thanks for having me, Lingling. Ling. So what motivated you to become an expert in the field of career transitions? So I became aware of, um, of coaching while I was recruiting in the early 2000s. While interviewing and uh, recruiting candidates, I realized that I was already also giving them career advice. So I decided to get a career coaching certification. And in hindsight, one of the things that I've always liked doing for myself anyway was, was learning. I feel like we should never stop investing in ourselves anyway. So long story short, I've continued to pick up many other coaching models and tools um, over the years. Over time, when my kids came along, it was getting a little bit more, more and more difficult, I think, to juggle the work-life balance. I had a great support structure. I had helpers. But it wasn't about the support. It wasn't about the timing. It was really about being present 
for the kids. And my husband, he travels frequently for work. So I get very stressy and anxious when he's away. And so anyway, with his support in 2006, 2007, I transitioned into what is known today as a portfolio career. I do a mix of coaching and, and assignments. Uh, I have assignments from a tertiary institution. I work very closely with a couple of consultancies. So uh, it was a fairly uh, straightforward pivot, I think, from recruiting into coaching. Technical skills are very relevant. And so the overall transition if I remember correctly, took about a year before I went all in. I found my niche and I haven't looked back since. So today with a, with a couple of business partners, I work with an organization called Career Agility International. We do a lot of work in the B2C space, coaching individuals who are midlife, career, crossroad, crisis type situations or are looking for a change and we walk with them through that journey. Oh, wow. That sounds like an amazing career path. But before this, we were thinking about careers as graduating from a degree and going straight into that job. So can we use this as an example to compare the state of careers today as compared to maybe a decade or two ago? Or are there other kinds of changes that we don't know of? So everyone's different and I'll try not to give you too generic an answer comparing careers today and a decade ago. They're definitely more complex. Skills are evolving. The skills required are evolving. I mean, I can imagine that even yourself, you're not doing a job that you studied for. Um, and I know a lot of lawyers who end up not practicing and a lot of accountants who don't go into accounting roles. So let's consider perhaps a Gen Xer someone like ourselves, you know, when we were in school, we, we never really had any career support. And, and a typical Gen X would probably have had parents who say, oh, just, just study hard and get a good job, as if a good education would guarantee success in a career. But that's not true today. Um, you've heard every cliche, right? IR4, um, VUCA, which is a term my business partners hate. <laughs> Volatile, uncertain. What was the other one? C stands for complex, complex. and A for ambiguous, right? Yeah. So we've seen all the technological changes. And another common term we'll hear is disruptor, right? So in general, I found that a Gen Xer, typical Gen Xer, they're very hardworking. They, they hunker down, they focus, they do a good job, and then they hope to get rewarded. But that, that's not the, how the world works anymore, you know. So, you know, but when I wrote my first resume, there was one little component there that had typing speed. So, so we had to write typing speed because not everyone in my generation at the time anyway knew how to type. And, and another example, which I do a lot of nagging when it comes to running workshops on resumes, is not to put MS Office in the skills section of your resume because it's a given, right? So, so that in itself is a, is a whole paradigm shift, right? So that's an example of what some of the changes that, that you can expect. But a typical Gen Y, I feel, might be a little bit more ready for some of these changes. And of course, I mean, if you look at the entry-level worker today, someone who's just graduated and fresh out of school, they're digital natives. So they're going to be okay for the foreseeable future. And again, for them, things will evolve. So when it comes to trends, right, I try not to give any. I think it's good for us to take a look uh, for ourselves, our specific industry, the choice of industry that you're working in, what are some of the things that you foresee potentially happening and disrupting the way you work. I loved how you made the comparisons between Gen X and the digital natives because where we are in terms of our education, therefore probably shaped our mindset about how we want to go about in uh, navigating and building our careers. 
Now, we, if we look at society and our economies today, what can we expect if we are a Gen X or a digital natives when it comes to careers moving forward? At this point, I think you need to look at the marketplace for cues. And I'm very optimistic in saying that if the world changes, all these changes would lead to all sorts of other problems. If there's, there's a disruptor, there will be opportunities. I mean, let's take a look at um, like, so autonomous vehicles, for instance. So if autonomous vehicles starts making an, an, an appearance on our streets, can you imagine the legal ramifications? Can you imagine the governance, the compliance? And there, there are many jobs there. Imagine the finance. How's it going to run? Is it going to be on a subscription model? Model. So if you consider a new innovation, along with that innovation will be a business and along with that business will be opportunities. And when we talk about trends, for instance, you can see, right, if you take a look at, say, publishing, they, they're retrenching on the print business side, but the digital side is still hiring. In fact, um, they're finding it tough to find good, solid skills in that space. And content creation, I think, will still continue to be in demand. And I can think of all sorts of new new innovations. You can think about drones, for instance, and if there's an organization that's going to manage a fleet of drones, then you're going to need people with the skill to manage that. And you think again, you'll need salespeople, you'll need finance people, you'll need IT people, there'll be customer service, there'll be uh, legal, in-house legal support, HR. So Trends are great for uh, predictability, perhaps, if you want to think about that, maybe thinking about, so what else should I be learning next? Or is there some other way to do it better? And so there are industries, for example, the, the stable ones like telco, the banking sector, healthcare sector, the military, transport and food. They're going to be around for a long time, but because, you know, human beings, we need all those services, but they'll definitely be innovating and changing and evolving the way things are done. And with those evolutions, there will be jobs. There will be jobs that will be disrupted for sure, but there will be new requirements along the way. So I feel that as an individual who's looking after his own career, I mean, one of the things that uh, people need to do is to keep a constant lookout on the marketplace and not hunker down too much. I love your advice about keeping a lookout in the market because it sounds like no matter where in the market you are, whether you're in the innovative space of drones and self-driving cars or whether you're in the more stable market as in telco or, or energy, there will be changes there and it's whether we can see those changes and move along with those changes as well. Absolutely. When you speak to people about their careers, and I'm sure throughout your years, you've spoken to so many about their career choices, how to navigate their career path and so on. What do you find that people get wrong most often? What are the common misconceptions when it comes to managing one's career? One of the worst advice I've heard is follow your passion, quote unquote. Oh, why is that uh, wrong? <laughs> why is that the worst advice? Because you hear that everywhere, right? And you know, it's, it's for the, the, the coming young generation because they grow up in abundance and they have, they have a slew of choices. In fact, maybe too many choices to the point that they don't know what to do anyway. So follow your passion is one of the worst advice because if you're interested in space, but there's no space program in Singapore, then that's, that's not going to help. So, so to some extent, you want to follow your interests. And we do have multiple interests. We could be interested in a variety of things. But I feel that people should, and, and one should consider the realities on the marketplace. 
So you want to look at whether or not there's a demand, whether there's a growth potential, whether or not it makes economic sense, whether there's growth. And sometimes when you follow your passions, right, the moment your passion becomes a discipline, it becomes work, then it's not fun anymore. And then it can be very difficult. So I can imagine it sounds easy saying it, but I want to just put a caveat to it, right, that to a large extent, a decision like that has to be are considered from multiple variables. You want to consider it from a few viewpoints and not just from, oh, okay, being bullheaded about like absolutely just following in that one direction. I mean, it works for some people. Again, just to uh, manage the statement, I don't, I don't want to offend anyone. But in general, following your interests is great if you would also then put a layer of reality over it and to consider the marketplace, whether or not it makes business sense, whether it's rational, whether you see a growth potential, whether the runway for this career has an end or does it branch off into other things that it give you options. So that's one of, the, uh, one of the advice, one of the misconceptions. The other one I'd like to add is, is a fixation on job titles. I think a lot of people tend to compare with their peers and when they say things like, oh, so-and-so is already 45 and a VP, uh, so for my next move, I must be a VP. And to, you know, they ignore, they eclipse all other considerations. But that's not how it works because, again, their trajectory is different than yours. It might be a different industry. So it's unhealthy to fixate on job titles. Careers are not linear. So you want to consider that there are many facets and it could be in multiple directions. It could be a sort of a halfway sidestep. Uh, it can be a sideway move. So I think it's important to focus on the job scope, the skills, uh, the experiences that you can hone and grow and leverage for the next job and the next. So I'm just going to quote Simon Sinek here. This is concept of the infinite game that he's been talking about because once you've gotten the job, that's not the end of the game, right? You still have to prove yourself, work hard, learn new skills, and then there's the next job. And then you have to work hard at that again and then the next one. So until the day you decide to stop. So I guess, again, in a nutshell, we have to evolve and grow and adapt and look at the realities. The common misconceptions that you have just shared with us, which is following your passion or following your interests is the worst advice and not to chase after titles because that's the kind of world that I was brought up in, being brainwashed or being told time and again, always do something you're interested in, to do something you're passionate in. And we cannot help in the workplace, but to compare titles, especially if it's someone that is around our age. Now for you to come out and say that is like a common misconception. To me, I find that really interesting to have a different perspective on how we look at careers. If this is not how we're supposed to think about it now, what is the new way of thinking about it? And how shall we manage our careers instead? So how should we rethink our, our careers? Is There's a lot of advice online. I think all anyone needs to do is just Google it. So I'm just going to simplify perhaps and add um, my two cents. I've distilled everything. And, I, and, and when you look at the people who have been successful from one peak to the next, uh, that one thing that they have in common is, is this innate curiosity. They're always looking at the marketplace. They're always looking at following the revenue trail, so to speak. Is there a future in this space? What's the future of this product? Have consumer buying patterns changed? What are, 
who are the possible disruptors? What are my competitors doing? You know, so so that that curiosity is something that um, is innate in a lot of these successful people I've seen, and then to assuage that curiosity, they network. Now, networking is a topic that um, I think a lot of people hear a lot about, right? But you know, networking is a common misconception. Again, it's not just about meeting people; it's about building long trusting relationships that you nurture over the years and so it's mutual right so you support your network your network supports you in return and so with a curious mindset networking will be very productive because then you find out realities of the marketplace you would talk to people about their businesses and their challenges and some of the changes that are happening and you get all this insight and the insight helps you stay ahead of your game and in fact when you talk to people with the networking comes opportunities. And so a number of the successful um, executives that I've spoken to, even if they hit a little speed bump in their careers, you know, the organization has gone through a reshuffle and they find themselves out on the street, they very quickly come back around and, and they land on their feet because they're the ones that are able to mobilize their network and, and the network knows of them, they're visible. So then they find those organizations, they find opportunities fairly quickly. So the two things really that is curiosity and, and networks. Oh yes, and one more, get mentors. And mentors is a, is a subset of the network, isn't it? So if you have both formal and informal mentors, people you observe, people you admire, people you would seek advice from, it gives you an access to learning because a lot of the coaching and the support that we get in our careers comes from people who give us feedback and sometimes it helps us with blind spots. Uh, and so all of this, uh, so the mentoring, the curiosity and the networking, I think are the three most common elements in managing your career. There are a lot of things, a lot of really good golden nuggets that you've just given us. And I would like to unpack some of them even further. I know there are a lot of courses out there that talks about curiosity network and mentoring. I would like to go a little bit more into networking if you don't mind. So for me, when I think of networking, I think of LinkedIn, I think of Facebook, I think of sending out a lot of articles and posts online so that I could get a lot of likes and comments. Is that how you start creating a network? Because the way you described it is a little bit different. No, not entirely. Certainly the social media elements have a role to play. It helps you to have a virtual umbilical cord, so to speak, to keep in touch with people with whom you might not necessarily have regular contact. I mean, one of the clients I managed uh, a while back was saying, oh yeah, I had a good ex-boss that I can call, but it's been three years since I last spoke to her. Isn't it awkward that I should reach out to her now when I'm in need? And then they get all embarrassed and worried and then they're, they're concerned about how they might be viewed. So the social media part of it gives us access to, to individuals. And, you know, it, it helps us not lose touch. But no, I'm referring to, in, in this instance, networking is a constant connection with people in your circle. So you should utilize every tool available. I mean, today we've got WhatsApp. We don't need to write letters anymore. We don't need to send emails because that's awkward as well. You can use WhatsApp. Uh, you can reach out and say, hey, how's it going? You could offer insight if you hear of something that's happened in that industry. Say, hey, did you know about this? So if you network to give and over time you build a long relationship, so the best professional networks are with individuals whom you've worked with in the past, your colleagues, uh, your bosses, your business partners, your suppliers. So stay in touch and offer support, offer advice uh, once in a while when there's a reunion. It doesn't feel awkward at all. 
So when you talk about network, it sounds like it's mostly staying in touch with the people you've worked with, no matter which part of the career stage you are at and keeping that connection warm. Yes, that's right. Fantastic. I'm also interested in the mentoring piece that you've mentioned earlier on, because the mentors I I know are via official programs and in corporate spaces. Do you mean the same thing or can mentors be just someone I contact on my network? Yes. So if you know someone who's a real marketing guru, for instance, and you're running a campaign and you'd like this person to give some feedback and some advice, there's a mentor right there. But you won't turn to this marketing guru for advice on finances, for instance. And so you might want to ask someone else whom you know of, whom you respect, has good um, numerical sense. So there there are a variety of uh, ways that mentoring relationships can work. In a formal networking environment, for instance, in an organization, they say, okay, I am going to assign to you Mr. XYZ as your mentor. That relationship can be very productive, certainly. But because it's within the organization, sometimes there's a limit to how how vulnerable you can be. There's a limit to how much you can share. So my advice is to have a variety, as many of uh, mentors as, as you want, for a variety of different aspects of your life. And some of these mentors don't even need to know they're mentoring you. So these are uh, informal uh, mentors, people you would catch up with occasionally and ask for insights and, and advice or two. And that's okay too. And occasionally you can observe people that you admire uh, and you try to emulate the way they handle things or the way they speak. So they're also your mentors, but they don't know it. Um, and then, of course, you can, you can look at the bad behaviors as well and learn what not to do. Uh, those are negative mentors. Also, so again, it, it all boils down to that curiosity. Just, just opening your eyes and just observing a little bit can make a big difference. I liked how you define mentorship to be someone who is accessible to you as an individual, wherever you are in your career. So long as you have access, a relationship with someone, you can just reach out to them and ask for help. How do you decide who is a good mentor for you? I don't think there's any one scale you can use to measure that. If you ask someone for advice and that person shuts you down, you move on. And sometimes you can just ask one person, hey, you know, you've done a lot in this space. Do you know anyone I can speak to about said problem? And that that's, again, um, another example of networking. It's a very fluid, very, yeah, it, it, there's no structure to it, really. So I don't want to put a scale and say, okay, well, this defines a good mentor and this defines something that's not. It doesn't really matter. If the person wants to help, great. If they don't, that's okay too. You can move on, you know? So if we link what we spoke about earlier with the changes that are happening in the market and the need to rethink our careers, that also means we need to reinvent and continuously learn so that we can update our skills, we can follow along the market so that we don't left behind. But all this continuous learning can seem really tiring because when I go online, there's just so much of emails and advertising about what you need to learn. Do we really need to constantly learn and unlearn and reinvent ourselves? The learning is, it can be organic. It doesn't need to be formal and just 
And looking in hindsight again with the way I've managed my career, one of the things is to invest in myself frequently. So it's not just one coaching model that I use. I sign up for a variety over the years and, and I see what others have to say about my vocation so that I can pick and choose what works within different contexts. So we don't work in a vacuum and we've got to be a little bit more agile in how you want to utilize your skill sets. So there are three elements, if you can imagine the three-dimensional model. There's the x-axis, and, and that could be the technical skills that you would gain over the years, like sales, for example. Um, that'd be the domain. And then within that domain, that'd be, for example, the industry with which you want to perform your career. And, and that, that would be the y-axis. And then the z-axis, um, that'd be the job scope. So are you general manager? Do you have P&L? And if you list down all the various elements, again, without too much labels, because people, like people like to label everything, but it's not about that. So, so the basic idea is still the same. It's about how you want to apply that idea. So I'll, I'll give you an example. If you think about, say, sales skills, right? Selling, um, it's quite standard. But if you break it down, there are many, many sub sales skills for variants, if you will, um, account management, industry-specific, is it enterprise-wide, is it B2B, is it B2C, is it channels, is it, has it got components of marketing, do they do push, you know? So, so if you become an expert in that space, then you can consider that a very good salesperson is really good at managing, say, all the channels within FMCG, for instance, within a certain product category, and can grow within that space to then become the general manager, to lead a PL, to manage a team, a region, or you can pivot into a different product category, eyewear, you can pivot to another category. So there are many ways to look at it. What I would like to recommend is to keep an eye on the marketplace and figure out what are the, the skills and what are the variants of those skills and then how you can be more agile in evolving yourself and innovating and reinventing if that's the word you want to use. As we are recording this, we are in the middle of our global crisis. And it's a time where many people find themselves out of work or possibly in a position where they may lose their job. So if we have one of those listeners, where do you think they should start looking first? I can't answer without the context. It's difficult to say. But I can say that post-C19, there's going to be um, major behavioral changes. Everything's going online. Traditional businesses might have to change the way they do things. So if you are currently rethinking your skill sets, take the downtime to reinvent yourself. Um, you might want to reboot or you might want to think about what's next for you, I would suggest you seek professional advice if things become very difficult for yourself. But if it's too last minute, then it might be really difficult to reinvent now when things are so bad. Like my business partner likes to say, uh, you don't wait until it's raining to fix your roof. So I don't want to give them all like rainbow and you know, I'm not going to give you like positive advice and say, oh, just do this and you're going to be fine. It doesn't quite work that way. Um, so you've got to take a serious step back and rethink what's next and how you plan to move forward and then network carefully uh, for that opportunity and then be skilled, uh, skill yourself up so that when the market does change and recover, you're ready to take on um, your next challenge. So yes, skill upgrades are necessary. Don't wait until things are bad to do it. It's, it's too last minute. 
What key advice can our listeners take away from today's session? Because you've covered so many wonderful things around careers. What do you think is the most important thing our listeners can take away from today? Well, the what the world will look like after the pandemic is anyone's guess. Uh, I mean, we all have our opinions. The best career advice I have to offer is this, don't, don't just look for jobs, look for problems to solve. Because when, when things land, there will be new problems and there will be new jobs. The jobs will be there. Um, so it's not all doom and gloom. So be optimistic, but have an eye on taking the cues from the market. So again, don't look for jobs, look for problems to solve. The jobs will be there. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Yen. If our listeners want to reach out to you, how can they do so? You can find me on LinkedIn, S-Z-E-Y-E-N. That's my name. Find me on LinkedIn and I'll be happy to connect and communicate. Great. Thank you so much, Yen. Thanks. That was Chi Zi Yen, a certified master coach and career coach with over 14 years experience in delivering coaching programs, as well as training and facilitating workshops. Joining us next week is Marcy Trent Long, host and producer of the Sustainable Asia podcast and Radio Hong Kong feature Trash Talk. We will be discussing about sustainability in Asia. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, take a moment to rate and review us wherever you download your podcast. Follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also visit our website at www.leadersoflearning.asia to listen to our previous episodes. If you believe this podcast show will help a colleague, friend, or family member, please share this episode with them via social media or your podcast app. I'm your host, Ling Ling. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast.